You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. You know, at some point, if you're a member of Congress, and no matter how much money you're getting from ExxonMobil, if all your constituents are calling you and telling you that you're not representing their values, then you need to pay attention to that. You know, and that's, at the end of the day, that's still the most important thing. And I think that if you're somebody who's more conservative-minded and you have a Republican representative in Congress, you're in probably the most important position out of anybody in our whole community in terms of reaching out to your lawmakers and letting them know that, you know, protecting public lands and environmental values are important to you. So please take that, you know, position of responsibility seriously and uh, put it to good use. There you go. All right, well... It, you know, I love seeing uh, all the participation at all the town halls, and it's uh, you know I've never the good thing about the past about the current election, the presidential election, and I see more and more people more engaged with politics than I've ever seen really in my life. So it's interesting to see it unfold. I like it. Yeah, I agree. I hope you know. I think if we survive <laughs> the next four years, we'll be better for it. Maybe. Yeah. You know, it's just really, it, it, from my standpoint, I just, clean water has never seemed like a political thing to me. I don't know how that's a, how that's become a, it's just like an obvious thing to me, clean water and clean air, but it has been politicized now. So that kind of scares me a little bit. So anyway, we digress. Moving down the list. One of our favorite topics that's probably been brought up, well, I know it's been brought up more than Whitewater SUP, is uh, paddle length. Lewis, you sent me a link here to the PDXer group. Can you uh, summarize what you saw there? Oh, yeah. I just thought it was funny that we felt like we'd been beating the dead horse on this forever. And then there was like a like a 30-comment thread on the Portland Kayaker message board about paddle length. Somebody had posted on there and said that they were – I don't know, six three, and we're just starting kayaking. And wanted to know what length the paddle to get, and there's it was a pretty wide selection of answers too. Yeah, and most of them were wrong. Right, I think think (laughs) the three of us right here can definitively answer this question once and for all. Yes, you're six three. We have the final say on this issue. There's no doubt. You're six three. Get a two hundred four. Boom. Yeah. Done. Done. And uh, the. Yeah, the thought, what I thought was interesting was there were people like posting on there who were like five eleven, and were saying they were using like one ninety fours. Right, and that's wrong. Like that's there's wrong. there's a small range of legitimate right. changes for preference, but if you're right. if you're using a one ninety four and you're five eleven, you're ruining your technique. That's empirically. What's that? Empirically wrong. It's not subject to interpretation. Correct. <laughs> There should almost just be an unwritten rule that like 200 centimeters is your minimum. And then you decide where you want to go from there. Yeah. I mean, if you're like 5'7", you can use like a 198, 197. Right. right. Or a 200. Even then, even then you do those like swaying paddle strokes where, you know, you're, you're like reaching out across the boat because <laughs> the paddle's so short. But you're still, unfortunately, I, I gave the... But, huh? 
I was going to say, unfortunately, I, I, I gave our show our, my usual level of preparation, which was zero, but I was intending to email uh, <laughs> uh, Sylvan Pobarai, who is the importer of Gallus War Battles and also the Olympic Slalom Team coach, and have him definitively answer this question for us. Who, if yeah, I'm not right. mistaken, has a PhD from some Slovenian university in paddle length. <laughs> we really Sylvan will answer this question for us yeah let's bring him on the show Lewis let's let's get to the bottom of this because nobody seems to believe us or at least they want to argue with us so well I think I think we should just right now identify ourselves as sort of the the commission on some of these issues and we are the final say yeah I, that seems reasonable yeah yeah I'm, I'm totally fine with that okay um <laughs> more news, more news. And John, you sent this one uh, our way. Uh, this comes at us from our friends at Outside Online. Uh, the title is, Is Instagram Ruining the Great Outdoors? Yes. So summarize this. Tell us what, tell us what you think about this. Uh, I think the gist, and actually I have to shout out to Max Black for said this to me. I didn't, I don't. I, haven't, I don't really take a look at Outside Magazine too often anymore, but uh, I think the gist of it was that people go to all these cool places to put them on their Instagram uh, page or whatever, however you want to phrase it, and uh, identify where the location is, and all of a sudden you're a secret overlook over, you know, in close to an urban area is overrun with people who want to take a selfie in the exact same spot. Um, and I think, that, you know, I think, I think the broader question here is something I've been meaning to discuss for a while is technology ruining our sense of adventure in general? You know, there wasn't, I remember when we used to plan these big expeditions, there was no Google Maps or Google Earth or Google anything, and there was no online searching. And if you got hurt in the middle of nowhere, you were probably just going to die before anyone got to you, <laughs> you know? Uh, but you're hanging it out for sure. Like, I remember our first big trip to uh, the Arctic, we had TPCs. Tactical pilot charts and ONCs, you know, operational navigation charts, which are one to one to one million, right? One to one million or one to five hundred thousand was the best resolution we could get with huge chunks of that, just big white saying, you know, elevation not thought to exceed eight thousand feet. That was that was as good as you know idea of where you were going as you could possibly find, unless you, you know, sent Wick Walker a box of chocolates and he sent you some weird <laughs> military map supposed to have <laughs> um so that's the question i mean what's technology doing to our sense of adventure and exploration i'll let you discuss <clears throat> well man there's a lot of layers there um man i don't know you know i think i i use those tpc tpc charts a lot um, for a lot of trips and you're right there were just blank areas with a do note on there and that's basically you knew the river went through there and there was definitely a sense of a greater sense of i don't know does it if you've been there you take a picture of it and post it have you ruined it for other people is that kind of the topic here i don't know it's tricky i've read through his article and there's a couple different points um one is I personally am a fan of more people using public lands, more people getting outside, and if they're inspired by an Instagram Instagram picture to go hike somewhere, to go paddle somewhere, I think that's a good thing because I think the more people 
that use something, the harder it is to lose it. Now, from a selfish standpoint, it may be a bummer, but I think from a broader perspective, I like seeing more participation um, personally. Well, I'll give you, here, here's an example. So when I first moved to Confluence 20 years ago, 25 years ago, uh, there was a rumor of a plane that had crashed out in the middle of the woods, right? Uh, like one of the, like a, like a Cessna or something like that. So I spent two years between talking to locals and sort of combing around the woods before I found this thing. And I found it. And I, it's still there. And you could go there and find the wreckage and find people's clothes still in the wreckage and, you know, all sorts of big pieces of the plane. And I know where it is. And it is in the middle of nowhere. And I have never taken a picture of it. I've never, you know, put a geocache there or made an Instagram post and posted it, you know, with GPS coordinates or whatever on it, you know, in the exit data, you know, and to this day, you can still go there if you know where to look and go through the plane pretty much exactly how as I saw it 15 years ago. Um, but I know sooner or later, someone's going to stumble across that and the word's going to be out and it's going to be picked through and that'll be the end of it, you know? Yeah. So that article touched on rather than you know sharing your experience or sharing your photo but not necessarily giving all the information of where it's at so would that be kind of a way you would lean on that topic john i would see no reason to share whatsoever gotcha. i don't really care what people want to know i don't really care if people know that i went there or not <laughs> you know? yeah i think that's right man i mean i just you know i don't I, know it's driving me nuts out here like i see people I see people walking down to Spirit Falls now. Like, I mean, you see, it's like half of Portland is out there, and I blame kayakers for that. That is where that came from. It's, you know, like kind of a dubious trail. It's kind of an area that's starting to to see some impact from erosion. And, you know, I saw the woman down there the other day with a front backpack on with like a white fluffy dog in there somebody else like listening to music like loud enough that everybody can hear it and it's like they're just going down there to go you know take pictures for instagram and it's like it's, i don't know and i mean beyond that it's like i think that in a lot of ways you start you get to a point where you're ruining it for yourself because you're not immersing yourself in the experience anymore you're thinking about how you're gonna portray that experience on the internet and it's you think that you think that'll ever go away? You think it'll go away like Whitewater SUP is going to go away someday? I don't know. I think, I think Facebook and Instagram have tapped our product or have tapped into or whatever a a some core part of human behavior. You know what I mean? And people are responding to it exactly as as they're biologically supposed to evidently. I don't know. I, I've never ever understood the the culture of sharing like that exists as it is as it does right now. I've never understood it. I don't have a Facebook account. Um, I have an Instagram account, but it's just you know I don't know if you've seen it. It's pretty <laughs> five people who follow me. I follow it's it's very, a bunch of old houses. Very, <laughs> yeah. Like, Weird yeah, stuff. I don't know, man. I think the, the Weld family is, uh, takes up a substantial portion of my Instagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's an interesting um, topic, and I, and you know, it's uh, we're uh, old. I think that's the real problem here. Could uh, be. It could be. I think but... we're old, and I think I think Weld, you and I grew up in this environment where the idea that you know at Valley Mill, where the idea that you would do something to then tell people about it afterwards was like 
like the greatest sin that you could commit, right? Like our kayaking guru is Tom McEwen, who with Dan Schnernberger and uh, was it with Wick went out did the first ascent of Great Falls and proceeded to tell nobody about it. And to this day, won't say who exactly went first. Yeah. And I it's think like it was, we had this. Was it Nora Bellingham? Uh, Schnur? No, it wasn't Nora. I think it was Wick. Well, I forget. Re- you might be. Regardless, that sure. day is done. You know? Yeah, that, it's done. But yeah. I, I think that we're the last. I, it's like I have this like Catholic guilt about like claiming something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like I, I remember like overtly mocking people when we were kids about like, Oh, you're only going to run it. Cause there's a camera here. Or like, like what would you run it? If somebody was going to take your picture or something like that, like, that was like, <laughs> just like a, a constant topic for teasing. You That's know? how you make fun <laughs> of like, people back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <seriously. laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know. I think you're right. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'd have to. Looking at McEwen as a source of our feelings on this might be legitimate. You know, uh, I mean, I feel. I feel like baked into what he taught us was the idea that you you don't need to go out and tell anybody about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about this? You, know, one? you do. Think what, yeah. What about this one? You hear some people talking about doing something, and you've done it before. And let's say you're on a car ride or something like that. And uh, hold on. Sorry, guys. And uh, you hear somebody, uh, you know, talking about going or running this drop or doing this little tributary in there. And you've done it in the past. Do you tell them that you've done it and what all's in there? Or do you just listen to the story and be stoked for them? Uh, that's kind of different, I guess. You know, I tell him, I tell him I did it. Sure. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Recently, that happened to me. I didn't tell him I had done it. Though. Knowing me, I tell him, and then ask me what's in there, and I'd give him some smart ass, useless answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, we had a verification that uh, Oliver Grossman was the first person to run Douglas. Uh, I had, awesome. Yeah, and uh, he'd probably run it twice before Owen else had run it. Oliver Grossman. probably told, okay. yes. Probably told yeah. no one about it. Find no, no someone, Yeah, it was someone probably was there watching it, mentioned it, yeah. That's why that's that's even, that's why that information was so hard even just to find out is because he didn't tell anybody, I'm sure. You see? That's how you become a, a secret legend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, moving on with the show. Uh, do you guys want to do? You guys want to get into the? Uh, you guys want to bring on Corey Junior Freestyle National Champ? Let's hold. Let's hold Jeremy off. Let's hurt. Let's hold Whitewater SUP off. Let's get. Uh, let's get Corey on the line here and uh, get a get a freestyle report. What do you guys think? All right, thirty seconds of freestyle. This is this is like the Lewis Geltman episode. That's what we talked about. That's why we called it the we're just going to have to get through it episode. Um, all right. Let me find Corey here. Should we talk about that prop, that uh, like we say pot briefly while we're, we're waiting for. <laughs> How's this? I remember when we started IR and uh, Donna Clodic, who was a slalom racer who used to make kayak and gear under the brand Rapid Style, was kind of a racer oriented brand of gear, but she sort of made general some general kayak and gear also. Uh, 
she used to say, I don't understand play boating. I hate play boating. I'm never going to make gear for play boating. I remember thinking that's really dumb, you know, because if they're buying gear, you should just make it. Right. Right. Do you think there's an analogy between that and an SUP and our, and we, I'm, I'm repeating Donna's mistakes. I think that's exceedingly possible. Uh, I don't think so much at all I don't think that so much at all and everybody knows that you're not anti it I think that I think that where it comes from is it's this very 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 small minority it's making all of this noise and from your standpoint is like I'm so I'm just sick of hearing about it you know, like, about it. I don't. I have nothing against SUP, but like I said, it's just so small. And I don't think people realize how small it is. And people keep saying you should do this for SUP. I'm like, it needs to, the sport needs to be about forty times bigger before we ever even consider doing that. You, you know what I mean? You know, you know there's 15. some guy. There's some guy in the parking lot at Angler's Inn right now about to paddle his sub up to Maryland shoot, telling his buddy that he should not be wearing IR gear because John Wells hates suffers. <laughs> 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 I want this to go. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Corey, are you on the line? Can you hear us? Yep. All right. We're just going to keep talking about uh, SUP if you just don't mind just sitting there being quiet. <laughs> All right, Corey. Well, on the line, we have Corey Sheehan. Is that how you say your last name properly, Corey? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I, Steel. I Steel. Well, I call – okay. So the Corey Steele. So – we do this event on the green called the Green River Rodeo. Corey would come out, and and it's pretty uh it's pretty low key. It's basically all the boys just come out, and we kind of show off some tricks, and everybody signs their name up at the entry. And when Corey signed up, it looked like Corey Steele, you know. And so the whole time I'm announcing him as Corey Steele, and I'm like name titling him in the videos, Corey Steele, and. So the next year, I'm like, Corey Steele's back, you know, at like the competitor meeting. Everybody giggles. And I'm like, what is everybody laughing about? Well, it took me like three years to finally figure out that it, he really wasn't Corey Steele. So I hope I didn't offend you there, Corey. No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Corey, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then we'll get into the national championships that you recently competed in. Um, I'm Corey Sheehan. I'm from originally from Kentucky, but um, I recently moved down to Asheville, North Carolina. And um, yeah, man, I just I do a lot of freestyle and a lot of creaking. Just try to keep it diverse. Well, walk us through. Uh, let's get right into the in the national championship. None of us have been down. Uh, Lewis Weld or I have never been down to the uh, feature down there in Columbus. Walk us through the competition and the venue um dude it is an awesome wave down there it is definitely the best wave i've ever surfed in the southeast it's um it's got a nice retentive foam pile but it's also really fast and you can just you can do every wave trick on there and you can even loop in there like you can do everything where is this um what river is this on um the chattahoochee so set, Columbus, set, set the scene. It's like it's pretty much like an urban environment. To, to, what's you it are, look like? You are totally in the middle of a city. Like you are a few minutes walk from like all these bars and like downtown. You're like just off Main Street. So there's like all kinds of people just like walking around. And um, there's all these bars you can go to. And there's so much food. Like, you know, we would go eat lunch somewhere different every day. It's a really cool city to be in. 
And 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 why why is this just now getting notoriety? Is it a are they new? Are they releasing water recently down there? Do you know any history of this place? Um, so they just recently put the Whitewater Park in a few years ago, but um, from what I've heard from the locals, it actually used to be better before the Whitewater Park. There was all these different features, and it wasn't as regulated. But um, now that there's there, it's more consistent, and people are just now starting to figure out that this wave is here, and it's this good, and it's starting to gain publicity. And, and how many days a year does this wave run? Do you know? Um, it runs every hmm, – I'm not sure how many days a year, but the river runs just about every day. And even when there's not a release, there's still features to play in, like – the wave is the main spot, but there's so many other waves and holes like just upstream of it. There's like four features and like a hundred yards right there that you can play at. So it's a really good spot to train freestyle because you can do everything. You can do waves, you can do holes, big holes, small holes, everything. And is there a little local scene popping up down there? Yeah, for sure. There's a bunch of local paddlers down there. Hunter, Kadich, and Bennett Smith live down there as well as Tom Dole. Um, those guys are out there as long as, as well as tons of just local paddlers who are just getting into it. Those two are like the, uh, parkour video kids, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. So how, <laughs> They're crazy. how old are you, Corey? I'm 17. 17. So I got one more year where I got to sign your waivers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> so tell me about the competition. Did you expect to win? Were you just going down there for fun? I was just going down there to just start out the season, get used to competing. I was definitely not expecting to win at all. I was just like, man, if I made it to finals, that'd be so awesome. There's all these people here watching. And then made it to finals and managed to throw down a good ride my first my first run. And um, somehow those guys didn't beat me. I really – I don't know how. I was expecting Tom and Hayden to throw down a higher ride, but I, I got lucky. You think it was how like, deep was the field for for men's juniors? Men's juniors? I didn't hear. Yeah. How many people? How many people were in the field? How many people were you competing against? Um, I think it was fifteen. That's a decent turnout. How many people were down there? Men, women, overall? You think? Um, there was like sixty plus competitors. Cool. Oh, that's not bad. That's all nationals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. That's a, that's that includes awesome. about. 45 people who wandered over from a picnic to watch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> so, so, Corey, uh, how, how, does, how does something like that compare to, like, the Green River Rodeo? Um, it's definitely a super different scene. Like, Green River Rodeo is just super grassroots. You're just there with your boys, chilling. It's really low-key. You know, you're just, like... This, you know, there was just like so many just tourists out there and just like there's like 1500 people there watching. Wow. And just like, yeah, there was a ton of people and like none of none of them were kayakers, just like total city folk, just like you sh great people watching. Um, And it was definitely like the people of freestyle are a lot different. You know, it's a little bit more competitive and more, you know, people are more serious. But um, you're everybody's still out there having fun and laughing, having a good time. Nice. So, so tell us what the world of competitive freestyle paddling is like now. Like, are there? This was the national championships, you said. Yep. 
And so is that the same? Is that also the, like the team selection for the freestyle worlds or is it is that something different? No, the U.S. team trials is going to be in the end of May in um, Buena Vista, Colorado. And that'll determine who goes to world championships. And where where are the world championships this time around? Um, they're down in Argentina in November. Huh. On what kind of feature? Um, in a hole down there. Gotcha. Um, and so, so are, are there a lot of kind of competitive events at this point where kind of the top guys are all there or is it become much more like local than it used to be? What's the, um, I'd say overall over the past few years, there's been a lot less local events. It's more of just like the bigger events like GoPro and the Colorado tour and stuff like that, that people have gone out to, but, um, it seems to be picking back up. You know, there's a competition out at the Nantale outdoor center this weekend I'll be at and some more stuff like that popping up that are just like local, local events. And so, so you're 17. So you're born in, in 2000. Is that right? Yep. So, <laughs> man, that's wild to me. Um, <laughs> we're, me and Weld and Grace, we're all old. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yourself. Weld, Weld often likes to, to harken back to the, the glory days of freestyle kayaking in the late 90s and early 2000s, oh. which obviously you are not around for. Like, how, what do you, what do you make of that? Do you like ever like look back at the video or do you like hear people talking about the glory days of freestyle kayaking and sort of like, like, what do you, what do you make of that? Like the arc of the sport? Yeah, I'm, um, I certainly, I think about it a lot. I'm just like pretty jealous. I didn't get to kayak back then. You know, I, um, I hope the sport sort of one day goes back, you know, in that direction and, um, grows more, you know, I'm always hoping it grows more, but I really, I, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, to compete in all the competitions back then and everything. I'm sure it was a lot different, but it seemed like it was a lot more, I don't know, mainstream. It had a lot more like media and pull and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess I, I sort of had a similar experience in slalom in a way. Like I feel like kind of the the glory days of slalom, or at least in the U.S., were maybe a little bit past when I got into racing. Yeah. So I guess I can sort of identify with that. It's sort of an odd thing. Mm-hmm. What is this? I mean, is playboating now big enough that something that you can? I mean, are you, what are you going to do? Next? Are you going to college next year, or what's the plan? Yeah, um, I think I'm trying to go to Western Carolina, and um. Not really sure what I'm going to major in or what I'm going to do, but um, just trying to kayak. And I just, I really just do it for fun. I mean, I think it's, I grew up doing a lot of playboating here in the Southeast. Um, I started playboating around the time that the World Cup and the World Championships were in the U.S. and it was real big. Then lately I've been doing a whole bunch of creaking, but I feel like the creaking just helps me train for freestyle too. It all, it so all said, you're gonna like hit the road next year and just and and travel the country doing freestyle. Is that is that something that could happen, or is it gonna be a little more casual than that? Um, I think if I took a gap year, I'd probably never go back to school. So um, <laughs> if I'm if I'm going to school, I'm gonna go. But I'm definitely um gonna do big road trip this summer around the West and try to do that every summer. And so your road nice. trip, are you, do you have like a hit list of rivers or do you have a hit list of competitions or how are you planning out your road trip? 
Um, I'm trying to go out to Colorado for the team trials starting out and then work my way through the competitions in Colorado up to hopefully North Fork and then maybe out to California. Nice one. So whose boats do you paddle? How many boats? No, whose? Like what brand? Oh, Piranha. Piranha. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I so, love it. Yeah. You want to... Real quick question here, Corey. Where do you practice at around here in Asheville? Um, I got to Eternity Hole a lot and NOC, and I just got to the green and a slicey boat. I think that's really the best training I do. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, you want to give a shout-out to any of your sponsors or any plugs before we uh, before we move on here? Yeah, man. Piranha Kayaks and Watershed, um, Warner Paddles. Kokatat, they've all been hooking me up. I really appreciate the support. All right. Well, boys, you got anything else you'd like to add to uh, to, to Corey here before we let him get back to being Corey? Uh, no, uh, no. I could. <laughs> I don't want to open a whole can of whack. We could go on for hours about different things, but no, I think we can. <laughs> all right, Steele. Well, thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> Sweet man, thanks for having me. You, you, you gotta thanks, be. Thanks for coming on, man. We're, we're probably gonna do the rodeo first, second week of August this year, so you gonna be around then? Sounds good. I will. All right, man. Well, we'll see you on the river. All right, I'll see you. Bye bye. All right, see you, Corey. Cheers. Hang on, just. National Freestyle Champion Junior, right? Should yep. he be making? If there's any other sport, he'd be making a living off of this right now. If he was a national right. champion, you're right. Yep. What do you think that, how do you think it is for the junior national champion itself? Jesus Christ. <laughs> At the moment, he's probably, he's probably he, way, you know, way bigger probably deal than Corey. <laughs> making, you know, like a, a salary from Red Bull with two commas in it right now. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to guess that if you were the, the junior class and sup is like under 50. <laughs> Corey, Corey's, a, Corey's a really good guy. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy he's getting ready to be 18 because. I was going to ask him. Do you think Piranha pay? Do you think Piranha pays him, or do you think he gets free boats? Nah, or you think- nah, he just gets a deal on boats. He doesn't even get him free. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, you know how it is. It's a small sport in whitewater, and he no, does, he does a good job, and I don't know. I just all I think about when I think about Corey is signing his waiver, knowing that he's going to throw a wave wheel off a gorilla. And I gotta watch it. That's just that's just what I think of. But big congrats yeah. to him. Throwing away we a grill, man. That's that's pretty ballsy. Have you done that, Chris? I have. Have you really? Yeah, I have. But I thought you weren't supposed to brag about this kind of thing. I, it wasn't on video. Actually, you know what? I should just act like I never did it. All right. Did you do it on purpose? <laughs> I did do it on purpose. <laughs> Yeah. One, one time at low water, I went over the handlebars and piton and got stitches, and that was not on purpose. But James Bird kick flipped it. Gorilla, not on video. Didn't tell anybody about it, or I mean, he told somebody about it. But yeah, dude, I think that's going to be the next thing in the rodeo this year. I think somebody, probably Pat Keller, if he's healthy, is going to kick flip Gorilla. So gnarly. Yeah, that's that's next level. See, just because we planted that seed, I can almost guarantee you it's going to happen. So, anyhow, you guys ready to get into whitewater sup or what? Oh, Lewis. 
<laughs> you really want to handle this? I, I'm going to check my email, but let me know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now we're bringing on to the hammer factor. Bringing on to the hammer factor, Jeremy Cass. I just sent out a message. We'll see if he chimes in here. We do viewer mail today. Do we have viewer mail? Yeah, we have some. Uh, we have some viewer mail. All right. <laughs> Jeremy, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you guys see me or hear me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're loud and clear. Jeremy, welcome to the Hammer Factor. Thanks, John. Uh, give us a little background, Jeremy. Tell us uh, where you're from, and just give me, give us a little. Who are you? All right. Well, uh, Jeremy Cass. I'm from Maine. Um, long time paddler, probably started paddling and surfing when I was about 10 years old, going to Camp Highlander in North Carolina. Ooh. But at uh, that time I was growing up in Florida, so started surfing around the same time. You know, during uh, high school, I really focused on sports, but back in college, uh, where I went to Unity College up in Unity, Maine, little hippie school, really got back into whitewater paddling, water rivers up that way, West Branch, Penobscot, Kennebec, and, um, you know, really followed the uh, instructor track through the ACA, got up to the L5, whitewater kayak instructor, um, also swift water rescue instructor, but traveled around the world kayaking, trying to chase that as long as I could. And, uh, you know, recently, about three years ago, I had to move down to southern Maine, a little place called uh, North Berwick. It's about five miles from the coast. And, um, you know, from there, I kind of made a radical move. Instead of getting a new creek boat, I, I got a inflatable whitewater stuff and started paddling rivers on that thing so it's it's been a it's been an interesting and and really really cool um experience to experience rivers from that way and it's always kind of just uh it's allowed me to keep in the water in a lot of different ways through either surfing and or you know whitewater kind of the perfect marriage if you will at this point so what's the scene like up in maine these days whitewater Uh, in general not just supping well you guys uh talked a little bit about um smalls to the wall your last episode and and i I know those guys really appreciated those shouts um you know we have we have a couple rivers that run pretty much every single day of the year the the kennebec and the west branch of the penobscot and then we have uh, a lot of creeks in the area that are just pumping right now we have a really good snowpack but all of our creeks really start in kind of marshes, so they hold a pretty long time. They're mostly located in the western mountains, but you'll basically find rivers up and down the state. We're pretty, uh, it's very, very rural place, 90% forests, and uh, most of the kind of um, commerce and jobs are found in the southern half of the state. But uh, with Whitewater, there's always um, there's a big rafting scene around those release rivers, the Kennebec and the West Branch. And therefore, you know, a lot of the guides or the, the young people that grew up in those areas really um, get into whitewater kayaking or get into rafting and ducking. Um, you know, river boarding is getting pretty popular around here as well. So, uh, you know, there's kind of a, a growing culture here. And I think a lot more paddlers from Maine are beginning to travel to uh, places far and away or down south to kind of uh, spread the stoke or, or be part of that bigger stoke that is, you know, whitewater and whitewater kayaking. Well, I feel like like Maine's like a different country almost in terms of whitewater. 
Like I feel like I don't know anybody from Maine who paddles, and I don't know any of the rivers up there. I don't know anything about it. You know, it's like talking about like paddling in in some Scandinavian country or something. You know, or some weird province of Canada. It it really is. Uh, it's it's isolated up here, John. It really, really is. And um, but I think. Uh, what happens is is that we do have a lot of white water. I, I think Maine is is in general we're always like twenty years behind the times. You know the music we're listening up here it's like ACDC and like hair band <laughs> right now like that stuff is huge. So um, John, I totally know what you're saying. Um, I, I think what you're going to find is that those pockets of areas we're really 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 trying to bring it to the greater community we have like a huge uh you know canoeing is super popular here it's part of the culture and the hunting and uh trading and the penobscot people so that's a big part of the culture but i think also because it's such an old population allowing those that kind of like new school of like hardcore whitewater kayaker hucking themselves off like the big drops or, or charging big water that's that's always kind of been on the fringe but now it's really coming in the mainstream mm. but we don't have any like paddling shops really we have like one or two throughout the state um where do you, you know, get your so, gear uh a lot of people order through CK, cks um main sport outfitters is on the coast near Rockland and that has some whitewater paddling gear and that's where Andrew Cooper works. Let's see. Uh, we also have a Kittery training post, which is down here by me. Um, my local surf loves the fact rivers and, and, and they have some really good, uh, it's in uh, Western Massachusetts. A lot of us will go there or through there. What are you taking notes? I know all these places. It's 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 um, New England in general has been a tough nut to crack. It used to be a really really, and I I, I know a lot of other people in, in similar parts of the industry us feel the same way. It's it, there was a booming paddle sports economy in New England 15, 16, years has vastly has is a lot more anemic nowadays and. And a lot of us just can't really put our finger on why that's happened. Paddling like a like an old extra with like a crankshaft paddle on like like the drives of the, the deer field. <laughs> it, it's really a black, kind of a black hole in New England. Um, you know, uh, traveling around and, and talking to other industry folks, they just like they can't get anybody to buy their gear. You know, I hear, I hear you guys talking all the time. You get hundreds of emails about pro deals and those kind of things, but you know, there's just not a lot of jobs or, or um, infrastructure around here to kind of support that stuff. So, uh, you know, the younger people are always kind of scrambling or, or looking to get their gear on, on a, a real fixed budget. So it's a black hole. Um, Jackson has a lot of uh, paddlers up here, but um, that's kind of, it so in terms of natural resources i mean if you paddle much like let's say west virginia or north carolina um how does maine compare in terms of mountains and rivers and quality white water i mean is it is this a gigantic un is this like the best kept secret in, in whitewater kayaking in maine or is there is it less mountainous or is the quality of rivers different or what's what's the big picture there 
Uh, the quality is definitely on par with West Virginia and um, that area for sure. Uh, d not as steep or as uh, concentrated as North Carolina and the South, but uh, really all, all those rivers and areas can be accessed via the highways and or backlogging roads, which is super, super fun. Another kind of cultural thing up here. Um, what happens in, in those towns that are near those big rivers, like the West Branch or the Kennebec, yeah, the rafting outfits and some tourists come in to rafting support those towns, but they basically go dead and unpopulated during the winter months or are only frequented by uh, snowmobilers and those kind of things. So in terms of, and all of our stuff is pretty much roadside. So you're always looking at, at a decent put in or take out that's on um, some sort of public and or public use road. So that part makes it really, really easy. You just gotta travel a little while to get to like a city. You know, the green has Asheville right there, or, um, you know, there's just not the infrastructure or, or the commercial viability for some of that stuff. Brother Jeremy, I'm sure, I'm sure you've checked this out, but Weld, have you seen uh, uh, Alden Bird's book, Let It Rain, the, the guidebook for- Amazing. Yeah, it's a guidebook for New England, Maine, a little bit in Canada, New York. That's good. Just like unbelievably good guidebook. Like I feel like it has all of, I don't know, like I, I never imagined that I would like sit on my couch and like fantasy kayak in New England, but you like look at this book and you're like, oh man, like this is awesome. Is and it still it has, untapped first descents in Maine? I mean, class five ones that are in the middle of nowhere, or is that, cause they're pretty much gone. Virginia, but I'm, I'm still picturing them existing somewhere in this country. There, there may be a few. Um, they're, they're really tough. I, I, I did one with a group of, of uh, friends, I want to say back in 2011. Um, the lower stretch of the Wasatacook stream had been paddled, but its, its headwaters was in Baxter State Park, which doesn't allow any kind of motorized vehicles or any of those kind of things. So it was really about a six-mile bushwhack into the headwaters where we we were able to get the upper section. Um, however, I, I kind of think there's some drainage ditches off of Katahdin or other mountains that are accessible kind of by the uh, Appalachian Trail, most likely. And that section that are still doable. I mean, I remember hiking through the 100 mile wilderness and just seeing like some streams and some waterfalls that are like very, very, very runnable. So I think for somebody who's ambitious and has got a strong back and a good backpacking <laughs> system um, and is really, really uh, tenacious, it, it, it's just really looking at the map and, and seeing what's out there. So, Jeremy, a couple things here. There's two things that I need from you to on this show today. One of them is to help John Weld get over his phobia of SUP. Mm -hmm. And the second is to perk uh, Lewis Geltman's interest in Whitewater SUP. So if you can pull both of those things on, you will be a legend on the Hammer Factor. Um, before I'm doing that, I would like to suggest that starting by talking about kayaking was a, a good tact. Yeah, <laughs> we're building the golden bridge here guys you know i think you got to look at it um from the perspective right now that i'm not sure whitewater sup is like this standalone thing 
you know, whitewater kayaking to me certainly is. It, it stands alone. It, it holds up. There's there's a culture around it, um, and and uh, there there's shows like this. There's there's competitions, online competitions. You know, there there's there's people and legends and and so on and so forth. You know, with with whitewater sup, I think you got to string it along like. Um, you know, the riverboarding, uh, people running things in duckies, uh, rafting, you know, rafting definitely st stands alone. I think we can all agree on that too, but, um, you got to kind of put it into all those pieces and with whitewater sup, I mean, it's kind of already begun to stretch out and that kind of ways to pursue the river. Now that people are like river surfing all these waves without a paddle and just kind of dropping in prone and, and standing up. So I think, you know, the first thing to do is kind of look at it from that perspective. But the way that I approach it is probably similar to what you all talk about quite a bit is that is that style is everything. I don't really want to try to beat her down anything, everything on my sup just to put a notch on my belt. It's that I want to style stuff and I want to use my swift water rescue skills, my knowledge of whitewater um, to, to kind of get down the river and have a good time and, and make it look good. Uh, and I think when you kind of look at it like that or start picking off rivers that, you know, you're not going to throw a huck fest with whitewater sup at, at the Little White. You know, first of all, the community wouldn't. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, right? It'd, be, it'd just be, it, it would ruin the whole scene. But, you know, you can do the middle sections and um, and really kind of style everything out like Dan Gavare has or, or or Taylor Robertson or, I mean, you guys all know somebody that's like kind of crossed over to sup at this point, but I think they're doing it for a new challenge and um, just a different way. You know, I, I think a lot of paddlers are just going to have a sup in their quiver as something to do and also that they're like, wife or girlfriend or mother-in-law can hop in at the lake, you know, in between river trips as well. So let me ask you this. Um, is there any, is there any gear or are, are there any things that you need when you're out on a whitewater sup that are not provided by an IR or, uh, anything? Is there, is there any holes that could be filled there or is it just, is it just all crossover stuff? I, I really believe it's all crossover stuff. You know, I think I heard a couple episodes back, uh, John talking about getting, you know, requests for make something specific, some sort of piece of gear for, for whitewater sup or, or something like that. But I think between, um, mountain biking equipment for some body armor, uh, you know, dry suits. Uh, I love IR stuff. I had a plaid dry suit forever. It was kind of a icon very iconic thing for me. Um, you know, the PFDs and, and helmets, uh, shoes, those kind of things can all really be whitewater specific by the manufacturers that are currently out there right now. Well, there you go. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good assessment. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to like invent any kind of special gear. The, the, the only piece of gear that I really see that's specialized to it are the uh, quick release leashes and maybe some of those rubberized fins or not using a fin at all. But, um, you know, some of the technology going into the boards, especially the inflatables, I can take mine and put it between two sawhorses, jump up and down, and the thing won't move when it's inflated. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, right on. So, so do you have a- how far is how far are you from Newfoundland? Oh man, I, I'm like super far from that right now. I'm at the very bottom of the state, um, right. so it, it's probably like a ten to twelve hour drive. Have you done much paddling up there before? Uh, no, you know, every time I traveled, I either went south mm-hmm. towards you all or um, out of the country. So, uh, you know, I never really got a chance to cross over into Canada. Yeah, I've done a bunch of kayaking up in Newfoundland, whitewater kayaking. It is phenomenal. Yeah, I remember um, expeditions from like Ben Stokesbury and, and EJ going up there and just finding like huge, huge drops. Uh, it, it, they're still. Probably a lot of untapped stuff up there still, no, huh? No doubt, yeah. And then also, I've always look, looked at the other side of that over in uh, the Torn Gats up in uh, Labrador. I know yeah, there's a bunch I, of them there. So, there do are, you have like polar bears there and stuff, and like you can get stalked. And <laughs> uh, do you ever do any stuff like goes in the Golden St. Lawrence, like the um, what are some of the rivers up there, Grace? You've done a couple of those. Yeah, um, you did that some of those. Yeah, the Macatna and the. Oh, right. And the, uh, oh, God, the Iguanish and the, uh, right. Um, oh, God, what's the one that I've done like three times? Yeah. Oh, it's the famous one up there. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it here in a second. I mean, how far is that from? I mean, excuse my ignorance of the That's geography. That's a long but... way. That's a long way, dude. It, yeah. It, you know, um, it, it it's it's really out there from from here uh those are you know uh yeah you're still looking at, at float planes and a couple day drives to that area from from here even from central maine which is probably you know a good three hours from where i am i mean you're you're definitely looking at a border crossing and then and then getting pretty deep into that area as far as i know the romaine there we go. The, the remain. remain. Yeah. Good whitewater. I mean, the remain from the border was 36 hours to where we got on the plane. So it's way out there. Well, Louis, you ever paddle in Newfoundland? No. I always kind of wanted to. I mean, I remember like when you and Andy and Tom were going up there back in the day, and that was always kind of like someplace we thought about wanting to go. But I feel like. It's like Since I moved out west, like going going back east for a kayaking trip has been seems seems sort of daunting, you know. Like given all the logistics out there, it's like there's not anywhere yeah. to like fly into or. I gotta yeah, put this... I think you're looking at like, I'd like to do like it. a year of planning, six six months of planning. You know, for a lot of those rivers, you need a really strong team uh, and and um, and and planes. You know, it's uh, kind of like the East Coast BC. I'm not really sure how else to describe it from my my knowledge and understanding. So back to the uh, Whitewater SUP. So down here we kind of have like a crew of like 20 or 30 guys who are out doing missions on their boards. And they Grace, Grace, you just keep taking us away from like expedition <laughs> kayaking and like <laughs> and pulling us. Do you have a do you have a crew up there, Jeremy? Are you the are you the one guy on the board paddling down the river? Kind of paint the scene for me up there. Uh, so, yes and no. Um, the 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 past couple of years, I I spent the spring, not this spring. I'm more into just kind of chasing what 
what I want to run, but um, I went to all the kind of canoe and club boater races. We're talking like, you know, those old fiberglass 13 foot whitewater boats that like don't even have a seat in them, but everybody's just trying to go as fast as they can with like a bike helmet on down class two and three. So I did a lot of that stuff. Um, I helped out with the ACA Whitewater Nationals, and that's just, um, that's held on a section of the Penobscot River. And it went from like one sub participant to three over the past couple of years. And, and I just heard an increase. Yeah. I've heard of a couple more people doing those races this year. Um, this past weekend, there was two other sub people with me. So I think, um, and now that it's a little bit more visible, and raft guides are starting to see it a little bit more. A couple people that are into all different sorts of whitewater get all sorts of kind of weird kayaks, you know, surf kayaks or whatever, are probably going to give it a try. Um, but in, in terms of like blowing up or having like this like dedicated crew that goes out and like does rock hops, you know, in the Boulder Gardens and spins mm -hmm. and it's like surfing every wave, not so much. But I mean, I think that's part of the cool part of it because all these rivers that maybe I rode off at some point in, in my career, if you'd call it, are like totally open enough to me. And, and not only that, it's like sections that I was so bored in in any boat that was just like a float trip, even though it was like big water class three or four um is now just really challenging and becoming like test pieces and those kind of things and uh and and uh i get that sense of like humbleness and fear and and uh sense of like wanting to go back and that i hadn't had in a while so i mean those pieces are all cool and i, I hope folks can get stoked on that but it's not like the surf cruise that you see hear about like on the potomac i mean i would have loved to have gone down to noli fest maybe next year Probably would like to go do the lower golly. You should come um, down for the Battle of the Broad. So uh, the, the reason I was bringing that up is because last year in the Battle of the Broad, we had like 36 people stand up paddling this race, you know, and and Corey is just was recently uh, just before you got on talking about 60 people at this national championship. So I'm just trying to paint some numbers here for my my uh, co-host here on the show. Is it like what section is it? It's uh so there's a distance race that goes through Asheville and then there's a, sec a section nine race on Sunday so it's a two day event. Uh, oh, the section nine is cool. I, I've seen some people doing that. I paddled it once a long time ago. You know, so I mean, Lou, Lou, you're you're out on the West Coast right now. You got all sorts of people going out there. Um, I think you know somebody just dropped uh, a Mainer. Mike McVeigh just dropped Outlet Falls. <laughs> I, I That's saw a that. Mainer. That was a Mainer. <laughs> yeah, like, like uh, yeah. I mean, he he wait, ran Baco. Wait, wait, this is Outlet Falls and an SUP uh, board. Body no, board. No, no, no. It was no, an, no. It's a, a body board. A body board. A body. Yeah. Is that? That's um, Maine. That's how they do it in Maine, dog. Did you? Yeah. Need to, <laughs> you need to start making like a segment of gear, Mainer brand. Yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, 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 started, I watched, I saw that I video. No idea guys, that dude was that a guy, miner. That, that just makes it so much better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched this video of this guy boogie boarding Outlet Falls. He swam over Outlet Falls head first. Head he, first. He, he, yeah, he, like, he very little it, thing, like, just the length of like his forearms, and then just like lawn darts it. 
But I, I would say the perfect, I'm watching this video and I'm like sitting here laughing at breakfast and my girlfriend comes over and wants to know what I'm laughing at and she looks at it and she just has the perfect reaction, which is, huh. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> was like, like that, that nailed it. <laughs> I'm just so happy he's from Maine. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you can't, you can't like look at it like that. That's just like the extreme end of, of that spectrum I'm talking. But, you know, if it's low water and if it's your local run or those other sections of the white salmon or some of those other kind of things, like it can be a lot of fun to go out with some friends and just kind of tool around and, and surf some waves. And, and, you know, especially when you're jonesing for the big stuff. So, man, you know, give it a try. But I, I kind of can appreciate the... Uh, the absurdity of some of it. No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. You know, it's like a lot of the boys will go out when it's like low water blues here in the summer and go take stuff out on the lower and just something to do at the end of the day. And like, I think that's... I think if you live in the Potomac too, I mean, I couldn't think of a better thing to do in the Potomac in the middle of summer than that. Yeah, and the water's 80 degrees and yeah, I can... Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the falls on the Potomac are gnarly, man. Like, you know, I, I ran those once, but it, it's serious and not every paddler is up to that. So, but I couldn't see like it being very much fun in a playboat doing the low, below the falls or anything else, maybe some of the surf waves, but on a board, it could be a lot of, you know, a lot of fun. There you go. Yeah. I think it's a big scene there now. It, yeah. it really is. Hey, hey, John, what what was running the upper golly like on your board? Because I remember a time when, like, there was some pictures of you around in that in that LL stand up board and like doing some stuff out west. Like, what was your goal? Were you just like, I'm gonna knee everything, or I'm gonna stand up and fly into everything, or like, I'm just kind of curious. Well, let me paint some backstory on this. So the night before, we were getting a little rowdy, had a few beverages, and. A uh, guy who was working for me at the time, Will Lyons, I I bet him that he wouldn't run around all of Golly Fest around the entire festival butt naked. And he was like, I'll do it. I was like, no, you won't. He was like, well, if I do it, you'll take that Versa board down the upper Golly tomorrow. I was like, sure, man. Well, lo and behold, he pulls, goes butt naked, and not only just, like, runs around all the Golly Fest, he just, like, hung out for, like, 30 minutes. So, <laughs> just, like, walked around, was, like, going to booths, being like, so, tell me about what you got here, you know, like, literally, butt-ass <laughs> naked. So, he followed through so hard that I had to do the upper Golly, and, and uh, Something I would never recommend for anybody. I know, like, where the bad spots are. I know how to read water, yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know, definitely. Um, but it was pretty fun. And, and I, after about the first two or three rapids, I kind of figured out a technique where I would just kind of, <laughs> like, when it got bad, I would go down to my hands and knees and kind of hunker down through a spot. And then when I'd get done, I'd stand back up. And uh, it was all right. It was fun. I, I did pretty good until I got tired. Like, from Iron Ring down, I kind of sucked. But uh, up top, I was greasing some shit, some stuff. Yeah. I mean, Iron, Iron Ring is like, that's still like up there, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't do that again. I'm too old for that now. But it was uh, it was fun, you know. I got some great pictures of Will naked, too. What was the worst swim you took? The worst swim I took was at Iron Ring, at the bottom of Iron Ring, because I got separated from the board there. 
I think like a pillar of rock, you go around the around the uh, rock and you go about 20 feet deep. Yeah, I almost I stayed on all the way to the pillow and I just I just kind of figured out this technique where I could just get down on my knees and it has these handles on it. So I would just clamp onto the handles and even if I fell on, I was holding onto the board. So it really wasn't that bad. But when I got separated from the board at Iron Ring and the that lower run out, the board stayed in the current. I got over to the left and was getting swirled around, and then I had to swim a long way down to it, and that part kind of sucked. But everything else was good to go, and I, I don't know, I don't know. It was it was on a bet. There you go. That's the backstory, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hunkering down and like kind of grabbing onto the handles, especially in some of that super chaotic stuff, is is also a technique. I mean, it keeps you on the board, and I mean, when you do fall off and if, if you're charging something and the water's deep, like maybe the upper Gully or Kennebec Gorge up here, I mean, you go pretty deep if you wipe out. Oh, yeah. And then you got to get back on your board on a big wave train. And I mean, you know, some of those diagonals will power flip you just like a raft or some of those kind of things. So, I mean, there, there are tactics to some of these rivers. You can't just, uh, go to the top and the put in of something big and be like, all right, I'm going to like stand up the whole way down. I mean, it's exhausting. You really got to break things down and, and, um, or, you know, like, or you're just going to do a long swim and that's just not fun. And, uh, at least not me. I mean, it's sometimes fun, but, but you know, you gotta do take a different approach than just like, I'm just going to get on and send and like beat her down this thing or kick out. Yeah. I'm a class two guy now. I'm done with that retired guys do you have anything else for jeremy before we let him get back to maine <laughs> no, I'm, here. I'm here i'm like not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you go to smallest of the walls uh not this year um you know i went during their inaugural year i raced and uh set safety and those kind of things. They had a great water level this year. I think they had about 15 participants. One um, woman, Leanne Bernier, she uh, she lives in New Hampshire, a great paddler, but uh, she took the win. So um, it looks like a really, really good, good time. Just really good water up here this year. There you go. All right, boys, you got anything else for Jeremy before we say goodbye? That's all I got. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the Hammer Factor, man. Yeah, right. thanks a lot. Guys, I'm, great I'm, idea. Keep up the good work. Yeah. You, you've raised, you've lowered my dubious li- dubiousness level ever so slightly. <laughs> good work. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, everything and we'll uh, we'll figure it out, all right? Too soft for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, we'll, we'll see ya. Peace. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. Man, you guys were so subdued. I was totally ready for you to just lay into Jeremy there. He was too he was too nice to 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 uh unleash on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, big props well for coming on. <laughs> Should we go into a little viewer mail? Let's do it. All right, so we got some viewer mail coming in here. How about Lewis sketch out the outfitting of his dreams, please? Man. Outfit? Like boat outfitting? Boat outfitting of his dreams, yeah. There's oh. So so let me just tell you. So what's happening here on the Hammer Factor are a lot of people are listening and hearing the, the first episode, and they're becoming aware. I mean, 
I guess they didn't cat, through, catch catch it, our, catch it through our huge advertising campaign that we did <laughs> or whatever. Right. But anyway, they're they're, did you say they're binge? They're binge listening. Yeah, so they're going back through our stuff, and so all these comments are coming up from older hours of us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, oh someone wants to know. Someone was when Lewis, when you were ripping on everybody's outfitting, somebody wanted to know what you wanted. So, what's your dream outfitting, please? Man. Okay. So here's the thing. I think that when you sit in the seat of a kayak and you lean forward, which is what you are generally doing when things are getting rowdy, the very lowest point on your back like just about your ass is pressing back and anywhere higher than that on your back is leaning forward. So if you have a back band that's really high on your back, it's getting loose right when you want it to be getting tight. And so what you want is like a pretty low seat back, like higher, you know, like something that kind of splits the difference in height between a back band and the back of a seat that would come on a kayak now. So I want a seat that probably doesn't have a back band at all, but comes up, you know, probably four inches higher than it does right now. And it's like stiff. So basically something like a slalom boat seat. And that was uh, something like that was Corin. Those riot, the riot seats, those tray seats mm-hmm. and connected to the top of the boat at all. And they're impossible to put a back band if you want a back band. But it was very much the idea of putting a seat right on the, the, the floor of the boat. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the, the ideal thing is to have you know, like a rigid back to the seat that comes up significantly higher. Um, I think that like what the new Waka boats are doing where the seat attaches on the inside of the boat instead of bolt holes going through, uh, like next to the cockpit. So there's an, is, is a good idea, except that I think they move ever so slightly right now, which is like, like the seat has to not move. That's kind of like a baseline thing. But that to me, that's the thing. It's like I think we should just get rid of the back band entirely. Okay, easy just... now, easy. easy. <laughs> it's not <so> crazy. <laughs> IR stock I, I just went down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's. And then, uh... you, know, you need to be able to get into the back of the boat. If that made it too hard, you could potentially like have a back of the seat that would come down and up and like close with uh, like ski boot buckles or something like that. Like a but, ratchet back band, maybe? Something like that? No back bands, man. Back bands are... <laughs> All right, well, we're going to keep the ratchet back band as, a, as an option. <laughs> okay, moving uh, on. So moving on to summarize, Lewis would like the molding of the seat to come up a little higher and the back band become obsolete, correct? Yeah, I think that's right. And I'd like to have the seat be a little bit more form-fitting. Like, I like having the legs, the, you know, the seat come up in the front under your legs, but you can do that with foam. Like I, you know, the way the dagger boats do that now with the ratcheting front, like I really like having the seat up against your legs like that. I think that's great, but it doesn't need to adjust. It's like, you're just creating one more thing that's going to break or you're going to lose or the heavy. And it's better just to either do it with the molding of the seat or to do it yourself with foam. All right, there you I mean, go. My idea thing is that I think that all of the outfitting that comes in kayaks now, it's made so that you can go from buying the kayak to paddling the kayak in like four minutes. And that's 
that's great if you're, you know, like a kayak school or like a livery or something. But if you're going to own the boat yourself, you just want it outfitted for you. You don't need to have all of these like adjustments that, you know, are things that are just going to gonna break over time. Basically, it's like you should just have your boat outfitted and that's it. Like your back band. Huh? <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, this comes at us from Fred Morrison. This one's to you, Mr. Weld. Can Weld elaborate on why he doesn't like slicely boats that you can sink the ends in flat water like the antics? Um, I don't, it's not that I don't like them. I, I mean, I've been around long enough. I did squirt boating. I, you know, uh, I've had lots of low volume slicey boats in my years. Um, I just like, I, I, what I like about the brat, for instance, is that it still has a lot of hull integrity, and to do a like to do a really good splat or a good stern squirt requires a good location, so a little bit of technique and some experience. Um, but uh, you know, the boat still paddles like a like almost like a slalom boat. You, you know, um, the really slicey sterns. Um, I just don't need to stern squirt that much. You know what I mean? Like I'm just not that interested in stern squirting every, you know, in flat water and in sacrificing the river running ability of a boat that that's short of a stern gives. That's, that's kind of my point. There you go. So in summary, it's all great to squirt, but you're not willing to give up performance of the boat just for that one trick. Yeah. I've sung the is the brat, the brat is the perfect combination of river running ability, performance hull, and, you can squirt it, but you have to be on your. You have to know what you're doing and be in the right place to do it, which I appreciate. Lewis, would you? Agree yeah, with I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying. It's like it's a trade-off. You know, if you paddle a boat with a really, really, really small stern, it's that's basically all you're going to be doing is stern squirts and cartwheels, and it's not going to paddle as well, like for running white water. That just isn't that interesting to me. All right, there you go. Now here's kind of a long one. Um, but I thought it was worth bringing up. This recently came in, and it came in on episode two. So somebody was listening to episode two, and so bear with me here on this one. Um, this was the one where we talked about slalom and kayaking, and we had some <laughs> very, various opinions. Um, very interesting. This comes from Nathan Butler. Very interesting and got me thinking about thinking if Olympics has ruined slalom in the U.S., then why hasn't it here in the U.K.? I'm from the northeast of the UK, and the attitudes and relationships to competition kayaking are very different to those from across the pond. In 2009, I spent five treasure months traveling and kayaking the U.S. from Maryland to California, stopping at most hot spots in between, and it appears to me the main differences between the two countries are, firstly, sheer size. There are many opportunities in many, if not all, the states to participate in reliable recreational kayaking on natural rivers. In comparison to the UK, UK, where we have to artificially build in gradient to facilitate whitewater progression in order for it to be reliable. This creates a competitive arena where athletes from a young age are channeled into the ideology that is kayaking, and there is no need to know about any other forms because that won't help you win races. 
Cage paddlers with blinkers set on winning at their discipline as opposed to recreational encouraged free-range kayakers from the U.S. who experienced the fun, informal side of the sport before making an informed decision on what, if any, discipline they would like to pursue. No right or wrong, we have some very impressive athletes going very fast, but with different ambitions and goals. Had they experienced the range of paddle sports opportunities? Maybe. Governing bodies have a lot to answer for. The BCU, British Canoe Union, has big budgets for supporting competitive athletes based on results. This is supposed to assist in growth for recreational paddling. From here, it very much looks like a feeder into competition kayaking rather than a separate entity offering all disciplines, most importantly, including non-competitive. We could learn a lot from each other here, I'd say. Thank you. I think that's... Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, I mean, I think that if we had, if Slalom had the kind of, you know, the USA Canoe Kayak had the kind of budget that the British Canoe Union has, especially relative to our population, you know, if there was somebody in every town with whitewater in the country whose full-time job it was to coach kids and hang and maintain gates, I think Slalom would be in a totally different place in the U.S., but it's just... I think, I mean, I, to me, it, it always comes back to culture because the fact is, is that your slalom is much more popular in Europe than it is in the U.S. I mean, I think there's no disputing that, right? Um, and while kayaking is still, you know, has, you know, is a is an active sport here, slalom paddling is huge over there. I, I just think that Europeans have a different relationship to individual sports in general than Americans do. Um you know, it's America's picture, individual sports is a very different thing. You know, where like in Europe, climbing or kayaking or cycling, all of these things have, you know, have, are, are much are taken much more seriously. Where in the U.S., you know, if you do any one of those things, you're kind of a maverick, you know, and you do it on your own or with your crew buddies. You don't think of it in terms of a team sport or a sport that's going to get any kind of help from anybody, you know. And similarly, like there's no one – as much as we talk about slalom and how great it is and how everyone should do it to learn to whitewater, we don't have anyone in the U.S. going out setting up gates. There are very, very few people. There's like I can think of four or five people nationwide who are maintaining a, a slalom course in the United States. You know? Um, no, I agree. I mean, if I were, no one wants to do it. Just no one wants to do it. You know? You know, I think if I, you know, if USA Canoe Kayak had money, and that would be one of the first things I would advocate spending it on would be just somebody who's you know something like equivalent to like the imba trail care crews who go around the country and help local groups build and maintain bike trails and like give technical advice and help that stuff happen it's like if you had a handful of full-time people who you could just send around the country to like engage with local volunteers help them hang your course help them deal with you know land managers or whatever and you know help just get these things off the ground you know provide some basic coaching i think that would go a long way towards participation it's just something that takes it takes a lot of volunteer time or a lot of somebody's time to make it happen you know i mean that's one of the reasons why you know we don't see more like creek races that have a slalom component to it like i think that everybody loves the dwarf fork race but the fact is that putting on a slalom race, especially on hard whitewater, it's just a massive amount of work. You know, just hanging gates, having gate judges instead of just having a person at the start and finish with a stopwatch. It's just way more work, and it takes way more organization, and that's, that's an obstacle. Here in Coppola, town of 300 people, 
there's a guy volunteering time to run a, a softball, you know, baseball team for the kids here. You know what I mean? And uh, I know it's work to get a group of kids out playing baseball. Um, but no, in the U.S. people don't think like I'm going to organize a Crew, you know so so you know, basically you, you do that you'd say it's more culture difference than not the fact that slalom's all they got if they're going paddling that's what i think they i think if there were, i think if americans wanted to race slalom we would have slalom racing and we'd have a beast <laughs> organization if americans wanted that wanted to do that we would have it but we don't we just don't seem to want that you know all right fellas well, we got a bunch more viewer mail, but we don't have time. We're already over our one hour allotted time limit here. Um, our favorite, we love your viewer mail. Thanks for sending those in. Sorry if we don't get back to you uh, on time. I suck at my job here. But anyway, rants and raves, our favorite part of the show. Does anybody have a rant or does anybody have a rave? I'm going to rave about. I touched on it earlier, but I think it merits more emphasis. Uh, Alden Bird's guidebook for New England, uh, Let It Rain. It is just like an excellent guidebook. It's full of awesome photography. And it has that like that sort of quirkiness to it that all good guidebooks have. Uh, like, you know, when you look at the California guidebook and what you get is basically the put in, the take out, the highest it's ever been run, the lowest it's ever, you know, you would possibly want to run it. And some story about the first descent that may or may not have any bearing on your river trip. And you just get this, like, the sense of what it was like for these guys who wrote this guidebook and, you know, the personality of the guidebook authors come through. And even if you don't necessarily run those rivers, it's just an awesome thing to like spend your time thumbing through and i would put let it bleed or let it rain sorry in that uh in that same category it's just like such a good guidebook it makes you want to go kayaking in new england i highly recommend it there you go john i'm gonna rave about newfoundland because i don't think i did it justice earlier newfoundland <laughs> is uh full full of excellent quality white water uh, with very low population density, fantastic wilderness, and there are a lot of roadside runs and things you can get to is just a little bit, a little bit of tenacity going across some some lakes. Um, you don't mind some ferries at the end. Um, just go there in September, sometime in the early fall, and just kill it because it is unreal. You can drink the water pretty much right out of the rivers because of the, the tannic acid in the water too. All right, Newfoundland, let it rain. Two rants oh. or two raves. I. I'm just going to rant about my broken ribs because I can't do anything and I'm feeling sorry for myself. And I know that there's way bigger things to worry about, but I'm just going to rant about broken ribs because they keep you down and they don't seem to heal. So that's what I got. Sorry, bud. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, there you have it. We'll uh, shift gears from Whitewater Sup until next week. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, <laughs> you gotta learn to stop complaining about this. Keep bringing it to the table until you cut it out. I'm done. I've said everything I had to say about Whitewater stuff like five times now. I, yeah. I got nothing left. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to Hammer Factor, and uh, thank you, John, and thank you, Lewis, and we will see you next week. <laughs>